our first scripture this morning. Each first of three giving a little snapshot of family in scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew, the 12th chapter, verses 46 to 50. 46 to 50. Matthew 12. While he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. But the one who had told him this, to the one, Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And here from the Gospel of Luke, just a little bit later in Scripture. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what the Lord was saying. But Martha was distracted with her many tasks. So she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. And the book of Ephesians, a letter even further on in the New Testament. Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Please pray with me. Holy Lord, 
May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be receptive to thee, O God, our strength and our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Okay, in a series of sermons called Losing Grip, I set this week to talk about family, how to de-center family. Now, I thought that would be easy. Just say, put Christ at the center of your family and all will be well. And that is actually the core of the message this morning, for sure. But the path on the way to get there isn't so straight. And that's because any talk of family rides a messy sea today of different definitions, actual experience, political and theological debates that we just can't easily hide from. But in some ways, I, I might just do well to duck and cover this morning. But on to the sea we go. I'll turn to Mother Church to launch us. Because our understanding of family and its place in our society for the last several hundred years has been so strongly influenced by how the church made a freely chosen lifelong marriage open to children the norm by which any form of family is measured. Here is how the Roman Catholic Catechism still puts it. The family is the original cell of social life. It is the natural society in which husband and wife are called to give themselves in love and in gift of life. Authority, stability, and a life of relationships within the family constitute the foundations for freedom, security, and fraternity within society. The family is the community in which from childhood one can learn moral values, begin to honor God, and make good use of freedom. Family life is an initiation into life in society. The original cell of social life of societies across the world has been, in the words of this catechism, raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament, like communion and baptism. <laughs> That's beautiful and reliable imagery. It it gives a noble idea. It's theologically sound. It's pastorally suggestive. In the language we use for sacraments like communion and baptism, it is an outward sign of an inward grace. It is certainly the image of family that I grew up with and the one I learned to cherish. And I still cherish it in many, many ways. That norm still lingers in our consciences and, and echoes in our imaginations, and it still gives power to the ways we use the idea of family as a metaphor for many things. 
But that image also has its limitations. It sets an ideal, an ideal that very few families actually meet, even if they look like they do from the outside. And I'll bet that the councils of the church that wrote that beautiful vision weren't bugs on the walls of living families or of households who aspire to parts of that vision but look very different. So that norm has been challenged by experience, by secularization in our society, by economics, by politics, and by a large expansion of what we mean by marriage and sexuality and gender and child-rearing. So we wrestle with the idea of family and we don't have one definition for it. Many use the word family as a political weapon. And yet, we all so badly want it, whatever we think it is. And we try so hard to perfect family through faith and therapy and divorce and remarriage and various takes on one, three, or six steps to a happy family. And we try to help each other keep our families going. So I thought the internet might help. Oh, you've tried that? I looked for pithy quotes about family that might catch your attention, and, and I found hundreds of them, lifted from literature and from media and plopped into quotation websites. And all of them put together kind of mirror all of these different feelings that we have about family. Some echo our Christian roots and show our impulse to make family really, really important, no matter what we think it is. Serena Williams says, tennis is just a game, family is forever. Princess Diana, family is the most important thing in the world. Michael J. Fox, family is not an important thing, it's everything. Walt Disney is said to have said, life is beautiful, it's about giving, it's about family. The Israeli writer Amos Oz said, I find the family the most mysterious and fascinating institution in the world. Now some, assuming that family is blood relations, talk of family as a circle that we just can't take off, and they find strength in that. You don't choose your family, they are God's gift to you as you are to them, says South African Bishop Desmond Tutu. But there are others, especially recently, who disagree with that view, and sometimes quite aggressively. They say that the idea of family should be freed from the bonds of blood and applied to kinds of intimacy that we develop with small groups of chosen others. That's the idea of a found family. Influencer C. Joy Bell C. shows this when she says that family is family and is not determined by marriage certificates, divorce papers, and adoption documents. 
Families are made in the heart. The only time family becomes null is when those ties in the heart are cut. If you cut those ties, those people are not your family. Or some unattributed quotes that touch that same sentiment, like, family is not defined by our genes, it is built and maintained through love. And then there's Stitch of the cartoon Lilo and Stitch. This is my family. I found it all on my own. It's little, it's broken, but it's still good. Yeah, still good. And as not quite right as that might sound to folks who take a more traditional understanding of marriage and blood-making family, the idea of a found family is actually given cover in the New Testament. Like when Jesus calls his disciples away from their blood families into family based on mission. Or when baptism made early churches new families with our sisters and brothers in Christ taking priority over our blood sisters and brothers. The idea of a nuclear family of two parents and a couple of kids separated from others in their own home is just not in scripture. Theologies that put blood-related families at the center of Christian life are actually not biblical. They might have a point, but they're way down the road from the Bible when they make it. But even so, right? Even so, the idea that any group is a family that does something together or shares some part of life seems to stretch the idea of family a bit too far. That kind of group might be friendship, but it's not family. But be that as it may, there's another view out there on the internet that echoes a Christian vision even if it also is not particularly Christian when it goes too far. And it's a kind of romanticized Hallmark Channel kind of view. You know it. Where the word family stands in for beauty and love and refuge and care and perfect well-being. It's, a, it's an attractive vision, but kind of unrealistic. A, fam, a happy family is but an earlier heaven, wrote George Bernard Shaw. To us, family means putting your arms around each other and being there, Barbara Bush beautifully wrote. For there is no friend like a sister in calm or stormy weather to cheer one on the tedious way, to fetch if one goes astray, to lift one if one totters down, to strengthen whilst one stands. Christina Rossetti. But jokesters like to counter that view with the word dysfunctional next to family. Family therapists will be quick to tell you that every family, however it's defined, is dysfunctional in one way or another. Even ones that look pretty healthy. So we better stop pretending. Insanity runs in my family. It practically gallops, wrote Cary Grant. 
And Jerry Seinfeld said about advertising, there is no such thing as fun for the whole family. And George Burns, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. <laughs> and this admission, though, can get biting, can't it? As F. Scott Fitzgerald is quoted, family quarrels are bitter things. They don't, they don't go according to any rules. They're not like aches or wounds. They're more like splits in the skin that won't heal because there's not enough material. So, metaphor or real, blood relations or chosen relations, beautiful affection or dysfunctional drama, family is all of that in one way or another. So what's a mother to do? How are we to think about all of this? How are we to decenter whatever family is and recenter it in faith? How are we to let God into family? Well, give me just a few more minutes to chart a course, if I can. I won't answer the question completely, but I'll try to point a way, or at least see a little bit of shore in the fog. First, at least for the moment, set aside all the struggles over what families are, or about who makes a family, or about how to defend your ideal view of family. It's not to say those questions aren't important, they are. We should take the time to think about them and to do better Bible study around them and explore our tradition and, and our experience to apply what the church has learned over the centuries to all of this. But 10 minutes on a Sunday morning just isn't enough. So let's hold those questions for a moment and instead ask what families that are open to God's spirit do. And as we do that, let's let go of the idea that natural affection, sweet heartfelt love, and constant happiness are constant in families. Let's welcome that for sure. But let's not depend on that or think that we've failed if family is not so sweet or so easy for us. Let's let family be the work that God knows it is and the discipline and commitment and the call for sacrifice and patience that it can be. Let's acknowledge and honor ways our faith helps us let life into our families, bearing pain, welcoming life, mourning death, loving through failure or illness or rebellion or rejection or anger or disagreement, even as we rejoice in goodness and celebrate affection and give thanks for the company of family and the joy of having generations together. Let's let family be complex and find Jesus there. For Jesus fearlessly enters complex places. Let's remember Jesus sitting with those sisters, Martha and Mary, when they are bound in both commitment and conflict between the two of them, 
or when they are burying their brother and beg Jesus for help, or when Jesus says that those who follow him are his family and not his blood mother and brothers, and when from the cross Jesus finds John and his mother and says, Behold your son, behold your mother, and asks John to care for his mother after his death. And so let's remember what families can do with a touch of spirit in them. They can order love, create life, and bear death, enable and empower mission, care for the vulnerable and the weak, honor each other in commitment and work, teach forgiveness and reconciliation, and be the church in miniature. Let's build on that and recover an idea that is buried deep in Christian tradition but has been lost of late. And that's the idea of family as a school, a school of love, purpose, identity, and formation. A school of charity, as it used to be called. Now, that's not a school with classrooms and curriculum. It's it's a vision of a school in a much older sense, of a protected community of learning where good questions are shaped, where habits of heart make for listening and speaking and prayer and full life. In her book, Seasons of a Family's Life, theologian Wendy Wright sees family this way when she says that her own experience of family has brought her to what she calls the great religious questions that have always been part of the human quest. Who, in fact, am I? How is life well-led? What is most essential, permanent, and foundational? What responsibility do I have for others? How do I deal with evil and fear? What is the good? How do I love well? How do I move in this wild and worrisome world with some grace and joy? Great questions. A school, the family is, of love, purpose, identity, and formation with all the messiness that goes with that. So with this view, family can be larger than those who live under one roof. Its table can be richer than simply a feeding station. We can look for reasons to be together beyond simply expressing ourselves or holding a position in society or sharing experiences or feeling secure. We can be bound together by blood and baptism, by obligation and choice by work that God calls us to do together across the generations, even when we only get glimpses of it now and then. The lead singer for the band U2, Bono, poses a simple faith-driven mission for his family that kind of gets at some of this. And that mission is simply be useful. Maybe there's a little hint there of what I'm trying to get at. 
Let's first put the faith-inspired point of family back in to the center of family. Let's recenter that vision and pray about that for a bit. Conversations about what family is or what it isn't make little sense if believers have forgotten that first point. Think right now of your family or your families, wherever they are, however configured, however you find them. You might have more than one. Add the church to that list, if you would, and imagine them all as schools of charity, useful for love, useful for justice, useful for compassion, useful for sharing, useful for protecting the dignity of the weak, useful for welcoming strangers, useful for making more with others than we can make on our own, Useful for connecting the generations and tending the young and old together wherever we find them. Useful for learning how to live together and make community with all of our differences. Useful for making peace, seeking forgiveness, speaking and listening. Useful for helping children find purpose. Useful for finding ourselves in the eyes of others. Useful for learning of God. So those five steps to a happy family, they're not simple, but they're real. Take the idea of perfection out of the center. Put good work where that wistful ideal used to be. Let prayer lead the way through all things. Let family become a school in that old kind of way so to be useful. Let church be that kind of family too. And you will be blessed.